Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. The scripture today is from Mark 1, 35 through 39. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout all Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning, church. Let me pray for us. So Lord, as we open your word this morning, may you open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Spirit, may you illuminate our minds to be able to receive every good gift and every promise that you have set before us this morning. We pray this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You can have a seat, church. If you are with us on the tail end of Thanksgiving and traveling, uh, we're really thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you took time to make church a priority coming in. I saw a prayer that was circulating this week that said uh, we need to be in prayer for those of our brothers and sisters who are gluten or lactose intolerant because they probably did not make strong decisions this past week. I hope you made some strong decisions as well. We are concluding a series, uh, it's a brief series, two weeks, that we are calling Evening and Morning. And today to start this message, I would like to recount the journal entries of a father of a man by the name of Evan. Evan was an advertising executive. He was a spouse and he was a father who experienced many great transitions throughout his life. The transition of finding a spouse, the transition of creating a family, the transition of a job he loved, promotions that he loved, great moments with his family. But the reason we have journal entries of this father by the name of Evan was not how he lived his life, but how he lived the end of his life. Evan's last transition in life was probably one of the hardest transitions to hear and know that was coming. He was marked by a diagnosis that had the word terminal next to it. His family, who actually chronicled his life and took his journal entries from this last part of his life, talked about how once he heard the diagnosis, that what he had was terminal. There were many things in his life that changed, but one of them did not change all the way up until the end. He never changed every single morning sitting in his rocking chair. Now, this habit had it always existed for Evan. As a matter of fact, when he first got the rocking chair, he was quite resentful of the rocking chair. His spouse, who actually became a follower of Jesus midway into their life, <laughs> asked him if he would also be a follower of Jesus. 
And resentfully, he said yes. And as soon as he did become a follower of Jesus, one of his friends told him that he needed to buy a chair and sit in it every morning with God. And every time Evan tried to explain to this man, there are not enough hours in the day for me as a father, for me as an executive to sit down in this chair every single day with God. His friend would simply respond, if you have a new opportunity with a client, you always make time for it. So why would you not also make time for God? So the chair appeared in the living room. And every day he would sit down in the chair. Some days he would read. Some days he would pray. On those days where the kids were extremely young, he would catch a couple of Z's in it. But over time, Evan started to notice something about the chair changed him. As a matter of fact, the chair made Evan different. His family actually journals that they called it not just the God chair, but they called it the trouble chair. Because they found that as Evan sat in the chair more and more, Evan started to do different things with his life. He started to give away money that he used to not give away. He used to get out of the chair and he started addressing things that he used to shrug off, which his family was like, sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's not a good thing. (laughs) Evan one time actually got up from the chair and told his entire family he believed it was time for him to retire and go to Colorado and start a ministry that they had never even heard of before. They called it the trouble chair because every time he got out of the chair, it seemed like trouble was being stirred up. But here's the thing. In one of the last journal entries, on Evan's last days, someone asked Evan, are you ready to pass? And Evan's response was, I'm ready to trust the God that I've spent every morning with, with my life. I'm not nervous. I'm not scared. I'm ready to encounter the God who I've encountered every morning. Jesus knew the value of the morning chair. Jesus, throughout his story actually finds times to withdraw in the morning with God. And one of the most beautifully intriguing things about Jesus is that Jesus goes off and withdraws to find strength from God, even when there is no trouble to be seen in his life at all. It's this regular rhythm that Jesus had. And as a matter of fact, I want to show you just one of the instances where this happens in Jesus' life. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1. And Mark's going to show us that you can't even get out of the first chapter, the first story of Jesus, without Jesus going to some semblance of a morning chair. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to display some of the words that are here with it. But Mark is going to tell this story in such a way that Jesus is not in trouble when you read this passage, starting in verse 35. He's not in trouble, but he's actually in a moment of success. Life is up and to the right for Jesus 
at this moment. And Mark's going to actually give you a timeline leading up to verse 35. He's going to show you how great of a day Jesus is having. It's the first day on the job for Jesus, and things are what we would call hectic. Let me walk you through a timeline leading up to verse 35. You get told in the beginning that Jesus actually goes to the synagogues and he teaches. And then after people are receptive to his teaching, then Jesus goes and he actually drives out an evil spirit that comes up. And then after that, he actually goes to a friend's house and he heals his mother-in-law. And then you find in verse 32 that he tells that after all of this has happened, he's going to describe the evening. Read with me in verse 32. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons. But we would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And then you get to Mark 1, verse 35. In other words, Mark's trying to say, Jesus has had a day. Jesus has had a very long day. You've had one of these days, right? One of these days where something at the apartment or the house, a pipe bust, one of the kids is sick, a project at the last minute takes a turn, every evening of your week is full, a meaningful conversation keeps you up at night. And for many of us, when we have a full day, when it comes to our rhythms, we actually just throw everything out. If we have a really long day, sometimes you know what we look for is we look to sleep in, or we try to fight for some me time, or maybe we just tell the Bartista to keep coming with the coffees until we tell them when. But Mark tells us in verse 35 that Jesus approaches his morning differently than how many of us would after a long day. Here's what Jesus said, or Jesus does in verse 35. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In other words, Jesus created and Jesus carved out time for God even when life was hectic. And the way that Jesus does this, and Mark's going to show it in how he describes this, he slows down the pace. If you see it in how Mark uses all of these descriptors throughout this verse, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left, he went off. In essence, he withdrew to find silence to be able to pray. Parker Palmer, who is this uh, educator and activist, actually makes this argument that's very compelling about burnout that you and I can face. What he argues is that burnout doesn't typically come from when we have given ourselves so much that we have nothing less left, but that burnout actually comes as it's merely revealing the nothingness in which we are trying to give in the first place. Jesus doesn't find himself in a place of burnout because he knows the one who sustains him in the first place with his life. 
whenever we find ourselves in a place of burnout, one of the things that's worth doing is retracing our steps and asking, what's the thing that we're counting on to fill us in the first place? When we reach for a weekend trip, when we reach for another beer, when we reach for another shopping trip, when we reach for another emotional affair, when we reach for another episode, when we reach for another friend group, all of those are sometimes attempts to fill the emptiness. But notice how Jesus fills himself when he's on the verge of emptiness. Jesus reaches for silence and time with God. Why? Because Jesus recognizes what Christians have recognized throughout centuries. That silence is not empty. But silence is full. And silence is full of God. And what Jesus faces for anyone who wants to dwell in silence and time with God is what you will encounter in Mark 1 verse 36. So Simon, this is while Jesus is away, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. The sun is barely up. And people are already coming to Jesus and being like, how come you're not answering your email? How come the kids' lunches aren't already packed? And Jesus' answer is actually a strong resistance to saying, hey, you should be doing something else right now. Actually, the word that Mark uses right here, looking for you, if you were to go back to the original wording, that would be the equivalent of the people are hunting you down. Anyone who looks for silence and time will feel hunted down. Our calendars will hunt us down. The needs of other people will hunt us down. The word Mark uses is literally a word of anxiety. It's a word of impatience. And Jesus' word in response to this is a word for any of us who feel impatient or anxious about spending time with God. In verse 37, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Don't emphasize on the momentum that we have. No, no, no. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus arises from his time with God with three things. He knows his identity He knows his calling, and he knows the next step he needs to take in life. If you come to church this morning and you are anxious or you are impatient, the good news of God is that there is a God who can claim your identity, who can send you on a calling, and wants to help you with your next step to take in the world. Jesus cultivates a life of engaging and withdrawing, And when Jesus does, Jesus knows how to love God and how to love his neighbor. Even when it's not the popular idea, even when it's not the expectation of other 
people around them. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. If Jesus, the Son of God, needs a regular rhythm of silence and prayer, how do we as sons and daughters of God not also need a rhythm of silence and prayer? Henry Nouwen, who is this, uh, he's this prestigious professor who had a long-time career, uh, well-respected, taught at schools like Harvard and Yale at one point in the last third of his life. He signed it all away to be able to spend the rest of his life being a caretaker for those who have disabilities. And he said that it was his offering to Jesus in his last third of life. And one of the phrases he used to say all the time that led him to this conclusion that this is how he needed to dedicate his life is he said, I needed to guard the work of the Holy Spirit. I needed to guard the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you take time in your life to guard the work of the Holy Spirit? I don't know, what's it mean to guard the work of the Holy Spirit? In other words, do you take time to be attentive and attend to the invisible things of faith. In the words of Paul, not only do we work on the visible things of life, but we also look at the invisible things of life. I talked about this last week, that one of the hard things about faith is is that sometimes they're just not visible things for us. Things like God, things like our internal examination, things like prayer, things like fasting, things like silence, things like the Spirit. It's not visible in front of us. Like when I walk into my house and it is dirty, I know what work is in front of me. I got to clean that house, right? But sometimes when it comes to spiritual things, it takes more attentiveness. It takes time of carving and creating time. It takes sacrifices to spend time with God. In the words of Scripture, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you said, yes, I'm on to this thing, God declares you a new creation. Not one day you will be a new No, no, no. You are a new creation. And part of being a new creation is preparing for and getting ready to live in the new creation when heaven and earth meet together. And if we want a sense of what God is creating in us and around us, then we need to let the visible creation, things like our morning and our evening, remind us of what the invisible creator is doing around the world. So this is where we got the series of evening and morning. Our evening and morning are ways to guard the work of the Spirit in our life. In the beginning of the Bible, there starts this rhythm of evening and morning that God creates this. In the middle of the Bible, in the Psalms, God shows us how humanity responds to the rhythms of evening and morning. And in the Gospels, just as an example like this, Jesus teaches us what it's like to live these rhythms. And it wasn't a one time for Jesus. It was a constant rhythm for Jesus. In Luke 5.15, it says literally that Jesus withdrew constantly to spend time in prayer and silence. 
So each week, what we've been doing is I've been just handing a couple of suggestions, a couple rhythms, a couple practices of how you can be attentive to the work of the Spirit in the evening and in the morning. I call this the David Letterman Top 10, but I only have five, so it's Zane Witcher's Top 5. And they're just suggestions for you. And uh, last week, we covered evening. And just as a recap for that in evening, we talked about what it would be like to nail down a bedtime, to turn down your house, to put down devices, to double down on impulses, and to jot down our prayers at night. And this week, I'm going to give you just five more. That could be morning. These are rhythms that you could do in the morning to help you be attentive to God. The five are going to be this. What if you give up, wake up, link up, set up, and show up? Okay, I know this is the last time I'm going to do this type of alliteration because all of you are annoyed. All right, here we we go. I'm going to go through the five today of one way you can be attentive to spirit. Number one, what if you were to give up being the first to know? We live in a beautiful era of technology. We love it. But sometimes it also lies to us. And one of the lies that technology will give us is that we can keep up with everyone and everything in our lives. So most of us, when we wake up, we want to keep up with the news. We want to keep up with sports. We want to keep up with social media. We want to keep up with friends that are on the other parts of the world. And although these are blessings, the lie that we can sometimes swallow is that if we think that we can be everywhere, then we can be like God. And in our attempt to be everywhere, usually we are truly nowhere. What if each morning you resisted the urge when you woke up to be the first to know about whatever that thing is that you really want to know? What emails are waiting for you in the morning? What's the update of the news while you were asleep? What are the things that you want? What are the Black Friday deals that you need to know that are available to you, Zane, in the mornings? What if you actually shelved those, put it on a shelf, and said, I'm not going to be the first to know about this? Ralph Emerson, who was this writer in the late 1800s, said, There are some things of which a wise man might wish to be ignorant. What if this week you had a rhythm of not checking? the thing you most want to know about when you first wake up, to be aware of what God may be doing in the world first. That was number one. Here's number two. What if you were to wake up to Scripture? In the opening of the Psalms, not the Palms, the Psalms, you actually find this type of language. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, they meditate day and night. In essence, the psalmist is saying, it is good to remind ourselves of the words of God and the story of God before we let anyone else in to shape our world or our day. From the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep, we're telling ourselves some type of story, right? Usually we're walking around our day and we are telling ourselves why someone did something the way that they did, what other people may be thinking about us as we're walking through our days. We let things like the news tell us what kind of world we're living in. 
We let TikTok, TikTok, we let TikTok tell us what's true and what's false in the world. We let advertising tell us what is held up in a good life. What if we developed a morning rhythm where we actually chewed on a small piece of scripture as the first thing in our lives? We didn't open our phone, but we actually opened our Bibles. What if before you plugged in that podcast, you actually listened to the Bible app first? What if we practiced memorizing scripture while we're brushing our teeth in the morning or doing the dishes? One of the ways that I've just kind of integrated this into my life is I'll just keep a Bible open in the most trafficked area of the house. And every time I pass it, I'll just read a verse from it. In a small note here about reading scripture, you know, our rate of consumption has really influenced how we read the Bible. So most of us, when we sit down and we think about reading the Bible, most of the times we're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read this whole thing in one year. I'm going to get this. All right, I'm going to do it. Now, all of us give up in Leviticus, we know, but we always have plans to read the whole thing. And sometimes that's a good impulse, but other times that's us reflecting our consumption culture. We think reading more is better when sometimes reading less is how we actually chew and dwell on God's word together. What if you were to wake up to scripture as your first thing in the morning? That was number two. All right, here we go. Number three, link up what you crave and what you avoid. So let me go ahead and say what many of you may have thought, but no one would say it out loud at that second point that I just said. What happens if you just don't find scripture that engaging? to actually want to do it, right? Like, is that just me that every once in a while I wake up and I'm like, you know what, I'm just, I don't know if I'm really feeling it. I know y'all are all Christians. I'm not. And I'm like, like, do you ever have this where you're like, I, I want to do it, but I wake up, I'm like, I don't know if I'm feeling it today. What do you do when scripture doesn't feel appealing? If you've ever had this instinct, you are not a bad human. You're just a normal human, Okay. One of the quotes that I love the most is that Dallas Willard used to say this about our practices. He used to say that God is not opposed to effort. He's just opposed to earning. He's not opposed to effort. He's just opposed to earning. Sometimes if we want something to become a deep rhythm in our lives, we actually just have to put some effort behind it. We've got to carve out some time for it. So one of the things that we could do in developing a habit maybe that we're not as like keen on doing is what if we just link it with something we enjoy? What if you made a policy that you said, until I read the scripture in the morning, until I spend my time in quiet, I'm not going to drink coffee. No? Okay. <laughs> what if there was something you look, what if, okay, all right, I'll, I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you halfway, Chris. All right, what, what if, what if you spent your time with God while drinking your coffee, okay? Like, what if you found something, some of you are like, yes, amen, now we're with you. What if you link something you look forward to in the morning with your time with God? However that looks, whatever it looks like in that season. One thing to think about is, what if you make a designated space where you spend time with God? It's very interesting that, you know, you find Jesus even saying it in the Gospels. He says, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen, and then your Father who sees what's done secret will reward you. 
Sometimes just like a smell, just like a song will take you back to a place, sometimes we need a location that actually lets us know that we're entering into a time with God. When I walk into my living room, there's one chair that I always sit in with my time with God, and I panic every time someone's over and they sit in that chair because I'm like, oh, that's the God chair. Be careful. Um, but, but we need a location. Sometimes we need a place to cue ourselves that we're going to spend time with God. Here we go. Number four. I'm running out of time. Set up a mental junk drawer. Okay, this is for all my type A people out there, okay, that you wake up in the morning and you're in a deep panic because you've got a task list that needs to be done. Amen? Okay, only a couple. All right. One of the natural obstacles we will run into if we enter silence or prayer is we're going to run into distraction. That's inevitable. And most of the time, we have this never-ending stream of to-do lists or convictions that need to take place. So my question is, is that, you know, all of us tend to have a junk drawer, right? Like we've got that drawer that it's like, man, I don't know what to do with this item. I'm just going to put it in this drawer. I'll get to it. And then six months later, you pull it back out and you're like, oh, that's right. I put this item in here. <laughs> if we have mental drunk, if we have physical junk drawers, then why not have mental junk drawers as well? Well, if you actually had a place that you store all the random thoughts or to do or tasks that you need to do for the day. David Allen, who is this author of several books, actually writes about the science of open loops with the brain. He would say an open loop is this. It's anything pulling at our attention that does not belong where it is the way it is. He uses this analogy of like a lot of times we treat our brains like they are a storage unit when honestly what our brains are meant to do is to be a computer desktop. You're only supposed to focus on two or three things. And when we don't have a place to store things, we leave things open and we keep working on them. That's why it is brutal to your brain to look at an email, open it, and be like, oh, i got to respond to that later. And then you close said email because your brain keeps working on that email. What if you just had a pad next to you? What if you just used the note app on your phone and you actually wrote down the things that you thought of or you remembered for the day? Now, I know many of you did not come to church to hear you needed to do list, so I'm uh, the fifth point and the final point. Uh, last, show up to prayer. For many of us, we don't need perfect time with God. We just need some sort of time with God. It's interesting that the first thing to go in our lives is usually the first go-to for Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I get extremely busy, my time with God is one of the first things I'm tempted to drop. And it's usually a revealer that my dependence is on myself more than I am depending on God throughout my day. Let me give you just an illustration here. My wife and I just moved into a house and uh, we tried to prepare every single way to move into this house. And as soon as we moved into this house, uh, a tragedy struck. Uh, we found out we could not get Wi-Fi for a full month. I know. Gasp. Uh, okay, man, y'all are not feeling it today. All right. <laughs> we said in the beginning, no problem. Okay, we can handle one month without Wi-Fi. Not a problem. Okay, we found Jesus' words to be very true, though, after one month. Man does not live on bread alone. He also lives on AT&T fiber as well. 
And we found, <laughs> we found that our hotspot could not handle everything we needed, right? We found that there were documents that we needed to send. There were things that we needed to check on. We needed to make purchases. We needed to pull up something for work. And the power of the hotspot could not last for us to be able to do it. So what we had to start doing is we had to start scheduling our day around when were times that we could go withdraw and find some Wi-Fi, right? This is the parallel for us in our spiritual lives. Many of us are dependent upon spiritual hotspots. What do I mean by this? We depend on a Sunday morning, a podcast, our last small group conversation, a great moment in worship, or the faith of our family to keep our connection with God. And when we do that, those things are good things. But when we do that, we put a weight on them that they were never meant to hold in the first place. That we are meant to go to the source of life. That we need a schedule that orients around our lives through prayer and silence, drawing connection and dependence with God. Our souls need silence and stillness and solitude with God. And that's what Evan found in his rocking chair. One of the final journal entries, the family actually recorded that once Evan had passed, his family didn't actually get rid of the rocking chair, but what they did instead is they actually passed down the rocking chair. And the rocking chair has been there for three generations in their family now because each time they sit in it, they remember that they're doing it just like their father did of unburdening their hearts listening to the Lord, and letting Him shape their lives. And that's the thing about spending the morning and evening with God. Yes, when we sit in the rocking chairs and however that looks for our lives, we don't know what God may pass along to us, but we also may not know what God might pass down to others through us. Bottom line, I'm trying to say, the ones we love, the ones who need us, the ones we teach, the ones we lead, the ones we parent, need us to spend time with God. Because when we do, we may just pass down something we didn't even know we were doing. Jesus lived it and he needed it. He cultivated a life that when he got to the final evening of his life, when he faced a cross, he was willingly nailed to it. He endured the pain and the weight and the darkness of the world and was put to rest in a tomb. And he trusted that God would raise him on that third day in that morning to make a statement to the world that this God keeps his promises. All of us will reach a final evening in our lives. There will come a day where you will be laid to rest in the good news of Jesus Christ. Even on as hard of a day as that is, the good news of Jesus Christ is that in trusting in Him, we will experience a morning where we will wake up to a new creation 
One where every knee and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord and all the pain, all the difficulty that we face will come to an end. If that morning is ahead, why not spend your evenings and mornings familiarizing yourself with the God who you will one day encounter? Because this God's ready to meet you in the morning and the evening. You just need to find your rocking chair. So God, we come to you just recognizing that you are the one who creates the morning and the evening. God, can you help us, assist us, aid us, prompt us, nudge us, Lord, to find ways that we can be attentive to you, to declare how your mercies are new every morning and how we rest and trust in you in the evening. We know this is possible because of you, Jesus. So we pray in your name. Amen.